Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 161st episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that will keep on looting faithlessly whichever way the wind blows. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host, as always, is Travis Allen, aka at Wizard Bumpin, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everybody. Good evening, James. How was your trip to Hawaii? Good enough that we were trying to figure out how to move there. Yeah. Maui is a pretty beautiful island. It would have to be. That's, uh, sounds pretty nice. We drove all over the place, went to like 20 different beaches, surfed pretty much every day, hiked in volcanoes, climbed ropes out in the rainforest with our baby on our back, and had generally fantastic time. Ate incredibly well. Um, and compared to a place, I mean, for some people, it would seem like a pretty expensive place to be. But if you're from a place like Toronto, um, some of the highest daily living costs anywhere in the world, um, not so far off London, Tokyo or New York. Um, now it was about the same, really. I found the cuisine to be. Unin- Uninspired. Unimpressive. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like it was awful, but it wasn't like you were finding, you know, three and four star French and Italian restaurants everywhere like you would get in New York City or anything. Well, my experience on the Hawaiian Islands is that most of those restaurants are nested inside five-star resorts. So you need to kind of like research which of those you can access and book reservations for. We did find some like really excellent hidden gems just kind of by using Google Maps, to be honest, and just looking for the like the 4.8 plus uh, referrals. Some amazing like $10 fish tacos, some really good seafood, some fantastic sushi. Um, And overall, it's just such a stunning island, like definitely a tourist focused place. But compared to a a spot like, say, Cancun, which is very much a tourist trap, that's almost unlivable. Like basically there there is no residential space in the tourist section of Cancun. It's just mega resorts and party places. And it's much more commercial. Yeah, it's much more of a almost like a a tourist Disneyland scenario. Maui is much more laid back. Traffic wasn't that bad. You're only ever like 20 minutes away from anything that would be considered bustling to get to something that's just straight up yep. nature. Like you can get to a beach with nobody no, on that it. I didn't too find. Much um, and we were like pulling around the southwest corner of uh, the island more or less every day heading somewhere. And we it was whale season. Uh-huh. So there's whales cool. everywhere. <laughs> which is pretty cool. Just like humpbacks jumping out of the water. We got like a picture of like Ellie out on her surfboard one day and like maybe 800 yards beyond her, just like a full, like eight foot in the air jump from a giant humpback. Wow. That is awesome. I was really pleased with the sea turtles we saw, but I don't think we saw any whales. Yeah, we, we saw some turtles close to shore when we were surfing one day too. I mean, it was, we had a good enough time that we were seriously starting to have the discussion about like how good would MTG Finance have to get where I could just give up my salary and, you know, just have passive income while we're in the water. That's got to be pretty damn good at that point, right? To, you know, the cost of living there is, is pretty rough. And if you're trying to have something, I know somebody that was a T 
TSA agent and, you know, you had to live with roommates, everything felt expensive, you couldn't spend a lot of money on fun stuff. So you got to beat that salary. So I assume you have to be probably at least 80 or 90,000 US before it's anywhere near comfortable. Yeah, I think that's that, that sounds about right. And I think that you probably want to be like household probably wants to be 150 plus. So if I mean, I, I'm a Canadian, so it's not like I can just up and move there. But I don't really understand why people from Buffalo don't. Uh, well, because not ex- not cheap. <laughs> Lots of retiring rich Americans over there. You should just get a healthcare or executive job on one of the islands. Yeah, do uh, you know there's a a sent a word in that sentence that was very telling. It was the rich. A lot of rich people retire down there, but it's pricey. Mm-hmm. It's very pricey. And uh, we spent all our money on healthcare. Real, real, real estate, real estate was pretty expensive, um, but we found like all the, the the regular stuff was about what we're used to anyway. Um, anyway, we had a very nice time in that island that you guys stole from some pretty cool people, and uh, <laughs> it was it was definitely a place we would go back to. Yeah, it it was very cool. I I wouldn't want to move there. I don't think it wasn't. I appreciated it for what it was, but I feel like it wasn't exactly my speed. Um, being from New York, I don't think I'm physically capable of, uh, of appreciating the, uh, what's the best way to phrase this? Relaxed atmosphere. Yeah, it's pretty, like, we spent a lot of time in one of the bigger cities in North America. I've been here for 20 years. And... Now that we have a kid and we don't really go out partying as much, the I can start to see the appeal. Like, I think 10 years ago, I would have felt like Maui was nice to visit mm-hmm. but not to stay. But once you've given up on nightclubs and you're getting up at every morning at 7 a.m. anyway, surfing, surfing the wee hours of the morning starts to look more appealing. Well, I... Not going, not going to nightclubs in the first place. But I will gear, grant you the kid thing makes a lot of sense once you've kind of slowed your... No, I shouldn't say slowed your life down, but adjusted your life a little bit. There's also some pretty spectacular nature. Like one morning we got to go out, uh, hike down this back road down to Jaws, which is one of the more famous surf spots in the world. And the overnight forecast for waves there was 50 feet. Whew. And by the time we got there around 9.30 a.m. or something... They were down to about 30 to 32. The winds were kind of wrong, so the surfers weren't really out there, but the guys were still out there on their sleds, like practicing recoveries, and it was pretty epic. Uh, yeah, we did not. I was, the, the surfing sounds really awesome. That is really cool. That sounds like, uh, I wish we got a chance to do that. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, well, maybe we'll, maybe we'll get you on a surfboard at some point. Figure out some kind of uh, pro trader <laughs> retreat. That'll be the super uh, discord, I think, that I talked about. I made a joke about one time. <laughs> it's $1,000 a month, All and right. after a year of paying for that, we will take you on a surfing trip to Hawaii. But, oh, interesting. I have to work out the details on that. Um, All right, so give us the intro here. <laughs> uh, our show is sponsored by mtgprice.com. Uh, the leading MTG Finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Also chat on Discord. Did you change this copy? Uh, I think we did a couple weeks ago. Um, well, 
there's more there's more text beneath too. You filled in the agenda part. You know, uh, the copy has changed. I feel like every week for the last three weeks, and I cannot get my rhythm. It's, it's upsetting you. All right, so. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Yeah, do that. Do it. Um, <laughs> do it. All right. So this week we have a show in I think we're on three segments this week. Uh, segment one, our top movers, James and I will run through the cards that have moved the most in price this week. Segment two, our cards to watch. We will talk about a couple cards that we think have uh, bright futures ahead. Uh, and segment three, our Medigan we can review. GP Bilboa was this past weekend. Uh, we were looking at Modern down there. So let's get started. Uh, segment one, our top movers. First card of the week, Paradox Engine. Pretty much all foils and non-foils. And I'm guessing the Masterpieces too, but I didn't look. Uh, Aether Revolt. I'm looking at what I'm pretty sure are the foils here, 23 to 41 uh, for about 75% gain. And wrote James's pick last week. You weren't here last week, did you write? Oh, that was one of the ones that I we did for you. That's what it was. Yeah. So the foil, yeah, the foils were 30 to 50. Yeah. yeah I, I left behind picks. You know, oh, no, this is. Was this the foil? Was this price the foil or the non foil? Let me take a look here. So that price, the non-foils went from 23 to 40. Foils are up over in the 60 to $70 range at this point. Um, yeah, market price 33, but lowest listed 70. Yeah. So that's going to be a win for everybody that got on this from here to a year back when we first mentioned it and others mentioned it. Like this has been, it is known. This is, this is a card that was only really ever um, risky in the sense that it could be too good. For commander which was kind of like the prevailing uh thought pattern during the first few months of its release and then everybody just kind of got over it and command zone featured it in a recent video where they talked about it for a while um it is probably like on the cyclonic rift side of things in terms of being just a bit too good for the format um it's hard to put into a deck that is you know following the detuned principles of fun edh but there are still plenty of players out there who don't care about destroying their friends and making new enemies. And as such, this card will probably continue to see plenty of play. Yeah, it's it's a shame that I don't think there's any way to play this card fairly either, right? Like, it doesn't seem like there's a universe in which you can put this card in your deck and it does anything in between good and ruins the game. Kind of kind of a bummer on that regard. But a good pick otherwise. Um, so that, that moved pretty quick. Yeah, if you, if you bought a foil, if you bought a foil as a pro trader um, or a couple of non-foils, you just paid for your year. So mm-hmm. good on you. Just buy every card we talk about every week uh, and you'll be a millionaire. <laughs> Most of them. Ah, I don't know about millionaire, but you're going to have, you're going to spend a lot less on Magic the Gathering. I'll tell you that much. Well, <laughs> it will, yeah, you won't. You'll spend more on Magic the Gathering, sort of. but you'll make a lot more. But it'll be balanced. Yeah, but yeah. In the end, the, your net's going to be a lot better. Um, I don't even really... I'm at the point now where I don't even really think of Magic the Gathering as a hobby in the same sense of, say, surfing. Surfing was net negative financially. <laughs> Every aspect of getting to the wave and being on the wave cost money. Um, 
magic doesn't have to be like that and that yeah. is why it's exciting um oath of teferi from dominaria was a foil we flagged a short while ago on the premise that war of the spark was a planeswalker focused set and we called foils at like two dollars and they are now 10 plus um and i can confirm that i sold a place at at 40 the other day with an eight dollar in so that's pretty nice and I'm sure many of the pro traders are doing the same. Therefore, not too surprising to see the non-foils follow suit and double up from their previous under $2 to somewhere in the 35 to 4 range. And it's pretty interesting because we're still really early in the hype cycle for war. Like, sure, players know it's about Planeswalkers and there's 36 of them. And woohoo, this is going to be a lot of Planeswalkers. But they haven't really got their eyes on any yet. And once they do, that hype cycle is probably going to take off anew. Word on the street is uh, all of the preview cards are already out in the hands of the content creators. So there are already plenty of people keeping secrets, um, including me, since I've seen at least one or two of those cards. Um, and once they start to drop, I think you're going to see the excitement level go through the roof. So, uh, Yeah, I agree completely. This has all been just based... All of this price movement around where the spark has just been based on people being aware in some capacity that this is planeswalker based but the the seeing the text on the car it's seeing the picture seeing what mechanics actually get rolled out and how they function is go- definitely going to re-energize this cycle um especially the people who are a little less plugged in um the types of players especially who really like planeswalkers <laughs> who aren't ear to the ground with this type of content uh, i don't yeah. remember who who wrote with the fairies i've got a couple Japanese foils floating around. I'm waiting, waiting for the spoilers to hit before I list them. But here's hoping on those guys. Yeah, well, I mean, with my $2 foils that we were picking up at like GP Toronto and then again later at the uh, GP slash uh, Mythic Championship in Cleveland, you know, the $40 order already paid for all those. So yeah. um, now I'm just waiting to see how much further up the ramp we can ratchet. Me too. <laughs> oh. And it, and I think that Oath of Teferi is very similar to Mox Amber in the sense that they are completely unproven. Like, Oath of Teferi doesn't even make it into my Atraxa deck. So in, like, tuned versions of Atraxa or, like, other versions of Super Friends you might run in EDH, you p- may not even play that card. Um, and because of that, you know, I've basically sold out of all the Mox Ambers that I picked up in the last few months, um, and some of which I had picked up as early as last June. And... You know, no hesitation getting in a, out on Mox Ambers at like 19 a piece and foils at anywhere from 44 to 52, I think. Um, because if they're great in standard, they might have some meat left on the bone. Um, if they're not good in standard, then they drop again, especially heading into rotation mm-hmm. and get cheap for another long term <laughs> uh, attack on the card. Um it's going to be very interesting to see what ends up actually playable in the coming standard. I definitely like Mox Opal after it rotates out of standard and falls to three bucks. That seems like it'll be really good to go after because something somewhere will get printed that will turn it on, you know, as modern speeds up or it'll be the only Mox and new modern and it will be good. That'll be, uh, that'll be exciting. Yeah. Um, Following that is Serum Powder. Uh, pretty much across the board, all the printings, all the foils and non-foils. Um, I'm seeing, I think the one we have on our sheet here is non-foils 
or maybe foils from Iconic Masters. I should change the way this is formatted from like four to eight bucks. Uh, all of this on the back of the London Mulligan that we uh, we have upcoming here, which is that you. Uh, the, well, I'm not going to run through the entire way that the mulligan hand changes, but Serum Powder, along with the new mulligan rule, gives combo decks a lot more options in their starting hands, which is leading people to think that basically every every deck in Modern that is a combo deck is just going to put four Serum Powders in their deck so that they can reanimate Gristlebrand on turn two every single time or whatever it is that they're trying to do. Uh, so, uh, I mean, if you have any, I'd be selling them real quick because we don't actually know what's going to happen with the way this plays out. And keep in mind that the mulligan rule is only on a test at London. It is not in all formats. It is not guaranteed. Wizards is going to roll it out and see how it looks. So given it's not unreasonable to assume that every team is going to be at the tables with four serum powders playing a turn two combo deck and Wizards is going to be like, nope, <laughs> never mind. We are not rolling this out. Uh, so time will tell. And if that doesn't come to pass, then that means the serum powders might not have been good enough, at which point they're not worth people buying. So really, it just seems like it's a sell-sell either way now that I talk about it. Well, and the funny thing is, if the mulligan rule at Pro Tour London ends up warping the meta a lot, and for instance, uh, is it Phoenix and Dredge don't perform, which I find hard to believe, but it's not impossible, um, because the mulligan rule does, really does open up some fresh deck design space or make some relatively inconsistent decks consistent enough that maybe tuning them becomes worthwhile or they attempt to tune and some teams give up, but some of them maybe find a magic bullet um, that can address the the format, which is fairly static at present. Like if you can find a deck that does really well against Phoenix and really well against Dredge, then you really could be in you know a format breaking position for this pro tour. So I'm curious to see how much the top eight looks like the top eights we've been seeing, which we're going to talk about later in this episode, since we've just had two more modern GPs um, on both sides of the Atlantic. Um, but Serum Powder was my call on episode 158, where we called the IMA versions to go from 4 to $10. So certainly happy to see that one basically getting there. Um, we're not too far off the $10 mark now. Cool. Yeah, I forgot about that, too, that you, you had talked about that. We're three for three this week here. And the next one, is, yeah, the next one and most of the rest of these are not from our lists. <laughs> uh, Charcoal Diamond from Commander 2014, moving from two to over four. That's just on the back of infrequent printings and it being generally useful as a, a mana rock um, that makes a specific color in the format. More of a budget option um, than something you're going to run in fully tuned decks. Ravo Soul Tender from Commander 2016. I'm assuming that's a partner card, right? Uh, yes, it is. It's the yeah, reanimates so, a creature to your hand or Gravedigger's a creature every turn. Right. So generally low supply. These going from 13 to uh, 30 um, for 100% plus gain. It's not one of the partners I happen to be holding. So um, anybody who went on deep on those is probably in a pretty good position to buy list in the next little while. Those are all appealing uh, I think the only concern is whether Wizards shoved them, shoves them back in some other product where the commanders are foil again. Um, but maybe like the first time you see the partner commanders get reprinted, the ones that aren't in there might be worth chasing because you'll know that those are safe for a little while. I would assume it's uh, Tessa Karlov that's pushing this, right? Like that's the commander that runs this card the most. Probably, yes, yeah. But I, And I think each one of them will have their moment, or mm -hmm. many of them will, I should say. 
And and as we've seen, like aside from anthology reprints, most of the the cards in the commander sets that are like that originate there are very safe specs. They just take longer than some of the quick flip stuff you can do if you're really on top of your game. But if you're just, you know, a casual commander player that dabbles in MGG Finance, you can do a lot worse than figuring out what the top five cards are in each set of commander decks and then snapping them up at peak supply. Oh, excuse me. Agreed. Um, so next on the list, we've got Anna Fins of the Foremost, uh, former standard all-star. Foils from Konzotarkir popping up over 14 from 6 for 134% gain as a sideboard tech against the graveyard heavy action uh, in Is It Phoenix and Dredge because anytime creatures go to the graveyard when Anafenza is present um, they are exiled rather than going there. Yep. Uh, pretty spicy little piece of tech there that allows the deck to keep still keep a lot of pressure on. I mean they're not really running a ton of copies but um, Anafanza is also generally useful in EDH, um, showing up in a reasonable amount of decks there. So it's also as a three-color uh, block-specific character, very unlikely to show up other anywhere other than a reprint-type set. And since we know Modern Horizons is probably going to dominate that landscape for the rest of 2019, or at least into the late fall, where some new product might appear, but I suspect we're just going to get another wave of Modern Horizons. Um, I, I can see Anna Fenza the foremost going another two, three, four, even five years without a reprint. And if she does get a reprint, it could end up at being in some kind of like three color command fall commander deck or something. In which case, again, no foil. Yeah. They might sneak her into uh, some sort of weird product. Like I can see that happening, but other than that, she's relatively safe for sure. <laughs> so next on the list, we have chromatic star. This is the original printing from time spiral. Um, foils going from $44 to over 100 This is on the back of Tron players who might be foiling other decks and the kind of con- persistent supply pressure um, that or demand pressure that has been exerted on this card over time as Tron has always kind of floated in and around tier 1.5 in the format. Yes, and I, I would consider this price movement to be virtually irrelevant. Honestly, I'm looking at it and I'm wondering why I didn't just delete it because... Every now and then we see like Chromatic Star, Chromatic Sphere float back down to, you know, one copy gets listed low, somebody buys it, and then whoops, there's no copies under $100 again. So not surprising. What's more surprising is that we haven't seen Star or Sphere or any of these types of bobble effects reprinted in any of the IMA, EMA, UMA, Ice Cream, U Scream, Well Scream for Ice Cream products to kind of take some of the pressure off the other foils. My dog agrees. Which came first, 10th edition or Time Spiral? 10th edition. Nope. It looks like Time Spiral was October 2006. 10th edition was the following summer. Oh, okay, okay. That makes As soon as I said it, I'm like, wait, no? So both of the printings of this card were within like a year of each other. That's that's odd. Yeah. Rolled it out right away and then stopped. Rolled it out, doubled down, and then backed off like forever. And you're and you're right. It's very odd, given that that we have never seen it reprinted. I mean, it's an easy common reprint, and it's and it's so in in a draft or limited format. Doesn't seem like it does like upsets the apple cart too much. So it's not doesn't seem like it's that hard to find a slot for. I assume that it's a balance problem someplace. I mean, if you have spheres and stars in your deck, you can. 
like in draft, much easier. yeah, in draft you can play the one-off card that you are you don't have any colored for at all because you just have like one sphere, one star that makes it for you. And constructed, you can run four of them and cut way back on your other land because they the first one or two will cycle to find the card you're looking for, and the third one will cast it. I don't know, maybe, maybe. Uh, Riptide and Trancer from Onslaught. Uh, a card that steals creatures when it gets in for damage. So it's a Tetsuko card. This also had some YouTube mentions recently. Um, as an onslaught, uh, rare, I believe it was, going from $1.50 to $5. Unless this catches a reprint somewhere, that's likely to hold. Yeah, likely to hold, but not likely to do much else either. Mm-hmm. This next one uh, is kind of curious. Nether Trader from Time Spiral going from 11 to almost 30 Presumably on the back of people recognizing that it is a potential combo in modern with Cabal Therapist, because Cabal Therapist is stripping cards out of the opponent's hand when it goes to the graveyard, which would allow you to pop the Nether Trader back into play. And then if you could had a way for the Nether Trader to die, um, then you could set off the Therapist again. Because the Therapist isn't triggering off itself dying, it triggers when a creature you control dies. Yeah, I wasn't clear on what the purpose of... Another trader is here. Obviously, another trader we've talked about before. It pops up every now and then, and it's a funky card. Um, but I, this seems like there'd be better choices for Cabal Therapist, like Gravedigger. Um, so I don't know what to make of this. That seems like a reasonable guess, but maybe somebody uh, just picked it up. It, it's definitely a, like a stretch in the sense that you have to be able to picture the entire deck that goes with all this. But... You know, Gravedigger is not better than Nether Nether Trader uh, uh, in the context of Cabal Therapist because Cabal Therapist at the beginning of your pre-combat main phase you may sacrifice a creature, so it always has the option to sack the Nether Trader, and then when a creature goes to the graveyard, you can pop it back out. So, assuming the deck has a bunch of things that you're popping in and out of the graveyard, then the Therapist could strip a hand pretty well in turns like three, four, five, six. Now, does that mean that there's a deck forthcoming? Who knows? We have no idea what's in Modern Horizons. So I would be selling into this hype. Even even if there is another trader deck, I'm happy to dig whatever two or three copies I have sitting around and get rid of them at this price. Wait, so why does that prevent... Why does that make it better than Gravecrawler, though? Which is what I meant. I Sorry, you said, you said Grave. I did say Gravedigger. I meant Gravecrawler. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's probably all the same deck, right? Yes, but I'm just kind of... What I'm looking at it, I'm like, well, why... Do you need Gravecrawler 5 through 8? Is that what the thinking is here? Yeah, I would assume you want some redundancy. And, and you want some other things that can take advantage of sacking creatures, right? So we're talking about a different, like a deck that doesn't exist right. without knowing what, what all the tools it will be at its disposal. So, which is, it, in my mind, that, that lines up with Oath of Teferi and Mox Amber. These are, you know, this is all highly speculative play patterns. Um, sell, sell, sell. Yeah, I was going to say, which makes the fact that we're talking about it in this context kind of odd, but um, it makes the play for another trader kind of a stretch, I should say. Yeah, yeah, that, it, which is the point yeah. I'm making. Uh, Tor- so, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I was say, next card is Tormod's Crypt, uh, foils out of M15. Um, Tormod's Crypt is the artifact, it's the proto Relic of Progenitus at each graveyard. I imagine this is uh, Arc of the Arclight Phoenix Hate because um, you just toss it down on turn one for zero mana and it just sits there threatening your opponent's 
to try and dump Arclights in the graveyard. Not really the best card or the best strategy for fighting against Arclight Phoenix, but I suppose an option for some nonetheless. Well, I mean, what we've seen is that there are actually, you know, Rest in Peace is probably still the best piece of anti-graveyard hate, um, but Tormod's Crypt is the cheapest. So for the graveyard decks that go off really fast, this is your best bet at getting something down that can deal, that can stave off the first attempt at them going off. And that could be against Phoenix, it could be against Reg, it could be against um, the people that are still playing Hollowed One builds. Um, you know, there are multiple decks in the format that are abusing the graveyard. So, um, you know, not surprising to see this pop up as one of the options in sideboards. In everything from Affinity to Four Color Prison, Amulet Titan, Phoenix itself um, runs like three of these in the sideboard, presumably for the Mirror and other graveyard decks. Really? They've been running in the uh, Tormod Script in the Mirror? Yeah, because it removes all, all cards from target players' graveyards. So it doesn't deal with... Like, uh, Relic of Progenitus is both graveyards, right? When you pop it? Yeah, it is. Uh, I just... It doesn't seem worth it. Like, it doesn't seem like it's good enough. And I don't know if you caught Corbin's little tweet stream about this deck recently, but he basically said Graveyard is... Um, Attacking graveyard that is not wrong. Yeah, at least it was very weak, and it wasn't going to cut it for the most part. Because they tra- they basically can play as a mid-range deck. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's what like are the old Splinter nice- Twin decks, basically. Mono Red Phoenix gets the added advantage of getting Prowess triggers on their Soul Scar Mage when they put crypt into play for free uh that is true yeah i mean it has has its its edges minor synergies um all right so moving on painful quandary from scars of mirrodin foils going from 10 to 30 i got nothing on this one um yeah i mean it's popular in edh right the deck count on Quandry is just under seven thousand, uh and it's only one printing so i'm pretty sure that's what it is it's different printings and it's one printing, it's old, and it's relatively popular. You see it in Kambal, I notice, uh, is one of the more popular decks for this card, and he's been doing okay recently. Um, but there's just so few, I would imagine so few foils of this left that that's what's going on here. But a good card to be aware of. Yeah, it's a supply thing. I mean, the top five commanders are Mogus, God of the Slaughter, Nath, the Gilt Leaf, Nekasar, yeah. Kambal, and Aloro. Yeah. Pretty d- diverse <laughs> group, really. Um, a bunch of black commanders that that are uh happy to punish opponents for doing things um having been at the business end of a cambal recently um i would not be surprised to see that card in in such a deck <laughs> now the following card uh is a little more interesting pyromancer's ascension out of zendikar uh just before scars of mirrodin foils uh five to about 18 on the back of is it phoenix because some of the Phoenix stacks have been putting Pyromancer Ascension in because they're playing a bunch of Monomorphoses and Lightning Bolts and things of that nature. So this gives them a little bit more of a payoff for having all those cheap spells in their deck. Um, and essentially, you know, I, I didn't notice anyone playing like Grape Shot or anything like that that gives it the true combo kill. But you don't have to, you don't have to duplicate very many ops or Lightning Bolts before Pyromancer Ascension did a lot of work for you. And it's another it's a non-creature permanent that your opponent has to be worried about and if they don't deal with it it will kill you um so i that's probably supposed to be like art quite five and six would be my guess yeah um 
Likewise, Fate Stitcher out of Shards of Alara um, was featured in a Jeskai Ascendancy uh, League run through by no less than LSV on Channel Fireball through their YouTube channel and on the Channel Fireball site. Um, and Fate Stitcher is a key combo component there. You basically want to dump your Fate Stitchers into the graveyard um, and then unearth them for a single blue. They can then untap a bunch of lands, then you cast a spell, then it untaps the Fate Stitcher, um, which can then untap a land again. And if you have multiple Fate Stitchers, then you can start to do some really busted things. And of course, because Arclight Phoenix is everywhere, um, LSV was running a version that ran for Arclight Phoenix in the Jeskai Ascendancy build. Um, because sure, you could pop because you, you, I said Jeskai Ascendancy already wants to cast a bunch of spells per turn and if that's what you're going to be doing then maybe you want to be um, giving your uh, Ascendancy the chance to be pumping up your phoenixes so at one point I saw him attack for like 24 or something or 22 with three face stitchers and three Arclight Phoenix and one or two triggers um, so that unlikely, that, unlikely that that's the best uh, is it Phoenix deck? Um, also would catch splash damage if Faithless Looting was banned at some point, which is entirely possible, um, as we'll talk about in a little bit. So Jessica Ascendancy has always been kind of like lurking on the fringes as a card that seems like it should be super busted. Um, and there have been multiple versions of the deck um, that have attempted to reach the level of consistency needed to be competitive and modern and it's never quite gotten there um but i have a bunch of foil face stitchers i bought at two dollars so super happy to see this spike because i intend to sell at least a couple play sets this weekend when did you buy the foil face stitchers uh i can't remember if you called it at some point and i bought it as a result or it just came up as in some other piece of coverage where somebody was playing Jeskai Ascendancy and I was like, ah, that any version of that deck's probably going to run the full four of these. It's from Shards Block. Doesn't look like the kind of thing they're going to bring back because it's got Unearth. And, you know, just bought like a double handful or something. It wasn't super deep. Well, I only asked because I remember seeing them. Or I, the, the cards Time in the Sun was a while ago. So I wasn't sure if you had them and like Mr. Winter to sell them or if you picked them up after that or what. I, I feel like I'm... I'd have to go back and check records, but I feel like I may have sold a small number of what I'm holding and then got caught holding the rest. Yeah, which is probably what happened to a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, as with things like hardened scales or, I mean, masterpieces, in- inventions kind of kind of went through a couple of different like peaks and lulls along the way. But as we were talking about off-cast, um, even those have started to... People have started to go deeper on those, knowing that there's nothing forthcoming that will disrupt their attractiveness this year. Right. Uh, following that is Tamio's Journal, specifically entry 711. Uh-huh. I don't think it matters which entry it is, but maybe I miss, we're missing something. Non-foils, a dollar and change up to four bucks or so, four to five dollars. It's in about 6,500 EDH decks. I would imagine this is a pretty reasonably popular budget solution. Uh, it essentially draws you a card every upkeep and is a tutor as well, because you can sacrifice a couple clues to go tutor for a card. Uh, and it's a lot cheaper to pay a dollar and change for a Tamio's journal than it is to pay 30 bucks for a demonic tutor. Um, but that's just my guess. I can't say that with 100% certainty. Um, I'd be curious to know if that's not the case. As far as I can tell, it's just a, relatively popular edh card as you said if anybody knows something about the specific entries and whether they are like relating them to the plot line of war or something um by all means let me know 
After that is Lotless Troll. Foils out of Return the Ravnica. $5 to 20. Now, this is an odd one. James and I were talking about this off cast. There's one or two examples of this showing up. Um, some guy running a modern deck in like a modern league or something played Soul Flayer, which is that black creature with delve that you steals abilities from creatures you delve away for it so it was delving away the naya creature from Amoncat with like flash flying haste vigilance or something the one that turned into a planeswalker uh and it was usually the deck would use a lot with troll to pitch all of those juicy creatures and then would soul flare them away to have like a two mana four four that did all sorts of fun stuff but other than that, there's nothing really we saw. There's one other dredge deck um, that this popped up in. So we don't have, really have a great line on this. This could just be, I guess, people maybe running it in Commander. I don't know. So if you know something about this that we don't, feel free to tell us because our best guess is still just a guess. Is this people reaching even further for a Cabal Therapist? Uh, that seems like a... Who out there is buying foil lotless trolls because they think it's going to be good now that Cabal Therapist is in modern? Ah, that just is way too much of a stretch. I want to hope that's not. I mean, it, discar- it, it discards a creature card, so it's not. It doesn't sack a creature, so no, that that doesn't make sense. We're we're clearly missing something, so feel free to fill us in. We are. They are. We are. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, they I may be. But we, we are, did. or they are. <laughs> Possibly both. All right, so final card on the list this week. Dosen the Falling Leaf foils out of Champions of Kamigawa, uh, moving from $7 to $30. Um, I rack this up as a old Champions block foil that has just kind of hit the tipping point in terms of supply. Yeah, I think we're both pretty much on the same page there. Uh, enough, no reason for me to expect Dosen is suddenly good. Yeah, I mean, this is the 2-2 two, two for 3. Players can play spells only during their own turns. I shouldn't say it's a bad spell. Just I don't see any reason why it would be popular all of a sudden when it wasn't before. Yeah. And we've seen Champions foils kind of like uh, those mid-2000s foils kind of will fall like dominoes as time goes on. All right, so let's move on to the generally more exciting segment of the program, our cards to watch this week. Um, A ton of the stuff that I was buying up while I was away um, has already been kind of nibbled away at um, through discussions on the ProTrader Discord. Um, There's a lot of action going down there before we even get a chance to talk about it. So definitely uh, one of the better reasons to become an MGG Price ProTrader and something you might want to get connected to in the near future. But I still have a few things that uh, we managed to pull out of the bag that uh, haven't been targeted lately. So the first one is um, my my strategy for not leaking them to the Discord before the cast is to look, don't, don't talk about them. no, just look at look them up ten minutes before the cast, and then that way <laughs> I don't have time to share them with the with the, the Discord. Fair. All right. So masterpiece uh, inventions have made us a lot of money along the way, uh, and some of them have retraced from previous highs and have then gone on to drain inventory over the last year or so um, and are setting up for new tipping points, I think. Um, one of the things that we we noted off cast was interesting about Modern Horizons is not only does it tell you what is not uh, getting reprinted for Modern, it tells you what is probably not getting reprinted in general. For instance, knowing that there is a set called Modern Horizons that focuses on Modern means you're not getting things like... Um, 
Soul Ring, you're not getting things like Mana Crypt or Mana Vault, etc. Um, and so because you know those things are not forthcoming anytime in the next, say, six months at minimum, and probably for lo- much longer, um, a lot of that stuff is selling very well because players have no reason to believe there's going to be a cheaper price anywhere you know, in the rest of this year. And so one of the cards that was actually, uh, you know, one of my picks way back when we were picking them up in Europe at $40, but now jumped back on my radar because Chicago Style Gaming on Twitter, um, credit to them, flagged this the other day. I mean, Chromatic Lantern's in 63,000 decks on EDH Rec, so total format all-star. A couple decks. Yeah. And you're never sad to play this card in the early to mid game. It just, oh, it fixes mana problems immediately. Um, and it's not enough of a danger signal in most decks that people are going to target it with their artifact removal unless they're wiping all the artifacts on the board, in which case, whatever, that you know, that reset affects everybody. Um, so copies of this have been draining and draining. Um, you can still find them in and around the 80, 90, mid-90s range, depending on where you're buying them from. Um, you can check out our sponsor, Cool Stuff, Inc. You can go to any of the, you know, the ver- variety of other uh, vendor team member uh, organizations that you can find listed on mtgprice.com. Um, check out your TCGs, your Ebays, MKM, etc. And you're going to find that this, these are becoming increasingly scarce. I think this sets up, CSG said it was he was thinking targeting like 150. I think 130 to 140 within the next 6 to 12 months is pretty reasonable. And don't I, I, I just I see no red flag telling me to stop on these. So I went ahead and used the 8% uh ebay bucks rebate on uh ebay yesterday and picked up three of these there's really no reason to slow down on any masterpiece really i mean well i would argue things like mana crypt and mana vault and soul ring have hit plateaus that they are going to have trouble lifting off from effectively so like for for soul ring to get back to 500 is going to happen like I think, I think you go far enough down the road, the masterpiece soul ring will become the Judge Foil Gaia's cradle of its era. But in the meantime, you could be flipping things multiple times and then get back in on one at five hundred if you wanted to down the road with your winnings. Um, but some of these ones that are below a hundred show the potential to get to one fifty or two hundred. And that's just a better overall return that you can get from the true all stars from the series. Well, that I don't disagree with. I think that. None of them are likely to lose you money, but some of them are probably plateauing a little bit. Like you said, the monocrypt, monoball, basically anything that's real pricey that isn't soul ring, but anything that's under a hundred dollars is worth considering. And chromatic lantern hanging around right underneath that is legitimate. Uh, it's so absurdly popular. You're not getting a huge percentage return there. You know, if you get this, if you get out, at, if you get in at 90 and get out at 130, you know, that's 45%, which is, which is fine. But the raw value return is great. And the overhead involved with the shipping three cards is so much lower than it would be if you were making four bucks a copy, but you had to sell 25 of them. So, yeah, and there's there's really good buy list backing on this, too, from Cool Stuff, Card Kingdom. You know, Abu's going to have some ridiculous price on it. Uh, it's all going to. Very little risk yeah, involved. Don't disagree. I, I like Masterpieces and I'm I have to fight the urge to buy more because I'm I'm deep enough on that well that, you know, I need to keep diversity in mind, but it is I do like the masterpieces still. And they sell. I've sold like I moved I, I listed some masterpieces this week that I have had unlisted for a while and they all sold pretty much. 
Um, so there's definitely some attention. Still people are buying those cards. Um, so my first card for the week, uh, both my cards this week are EDH. I, I want to talk about modern cards because modern everyone's thinking about modern horizons, but I don't, you have to, I have to know what I, I have to like something. And at this point, I'm just concerned that anything I'm talking about is going to be runs the risk of becoming invalidated. Um, you know, a lot of these cards you're going, okay, well, I know this isn't getting reprinted. So that means it's, and it's, it's in modern, it's really good in modern. It's not getting reprinted. So it's, it's going to go up and it's like, well, kind of, uh, because some of these decks could just not matter after modern horizons comes out 260 cards designed for modern is a lot of cards and the format is probably not going to look like it does today after the set comes out. So I'm reluctant to talk about something like, I don't know. Ooh, uh, like worm coil out of Tron or some sort of humans card because I'm like, these might just get blown out of the water and replaced by all sorts of other strategies. So kind of focusing on EDH the moment until we get a little closer and we start seeing some spoilers. So out of the way, uh, I went looking and found burgeoning today. Burgeoning is the one mana enchantment that you get to Wait, is this the one where you put a land? There's this one in, I think this is when you put a land into play every time somebody else does. You see, there's like three of these cards, and I always get them confused. So hold on, let me look this one up. It is, yeah, whenever an opponent puts a land into whenever, play, you whenever. put one in the play as well. Because there's this, and there's the Horn of Greed, and there's Exploration that all have very similar effects. But Burgeoning is really great because you slam this on turn one, and then by the time it's your turn, you have four mana in play on turn two. Um, and it's still useful the entire rest of the game because as long as you're drawing cards, your opponents are still probably putting lands in the plate even on turn 10, and you're still getting to make extra land drops. So I'm a big fan of it. Anyways, foils are uh, just about $20 right now. Um, in fact, I found one at 20 There were a couple at 25 and then after that, there were 40 But the inventory is very low. Um, and I think we're talking about Conspiracy 2 foils now, which is a couple years old. So in general, I think you can get in if you can find these at 20, if you can get the one that's listed for 20 or get in on some of the other ones, um, maybe you find some other sources where they're about that price. You should be pretty clear to ride up to 30, 35, probably even $40 for these because I don't know when we're going to see burgeoning again. I suppose there's a chance that it shows up in Modern Horizons, but this would be a really odd choice for that. I don't think this is a card that would matter in Modern whatsoever, so I don't know why they'd waste a slot on it. And if it did modern matter in modern, it'd be <laughs> it could be dangerous. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I'd have to think about whether primeval titan decks would want this, but I'm not sure anybody wants to find out. It's it's not a fair card, <laughs> for sure, for sure. It would if it was in modern, I feel like it'd either be insane or worthless, and I lean it on worthless. But who knows? Man, the, the, this works with fetches too. I think. Wait, does it say when it comes to the player when? No, it's whenever they play, play so it does not it does not double up on fetches, so no. Not good. Terrible. Interesting. Yeah, I mean I think that on EDH demand alone, um, with given how scarce foils are, and if you don't believe that it's gonna be in Modern Horizons, then again, you have no place for it to get reprinted. Um it's probably not showing it was in Commander twenty sixteen. Probably unlikely that it shows up again in a commander deck in the fall. That would be kind of like your first risky point. Um, but you're going to get three to six months before you have to worry about that anyway. Yeah, and remember, we're talking about foils. Yeah. And exactly. this was so, in a commander product, but not foil. Exactly. 
And so the conspiracy foils are the only foils ever, I believe, because the first printing is a stronghold printing, right? Uh, versus yeah. Legacy or Stronghold? Stronghold. So the only foils that have ever existed are the conspiracy foils. Yeah. Yeah, That this one seems real sweet. It's not like a high demand card overall. It's just super unlikely to see a reprint before the foils get pushed just from that modest amount of demand up into a position of success. Cool. Yeah. It's a fun little card. All right. So next on my list is a card that I'm pretty sure I've talked about before. I can't remember if it was last spring. Um, certainly not inside the last six months, but it was probably within the last year, I believe. Insurrection foils um, show up in like 8,000 decks on EDH rec. It's only ever uh, had a single foil printing as well. Um, and that printing was an onslaught. So that's an old border foil. I think I targeted them the last time at around 30 and there's less of them around than there was then, <clears throat> but you can still find copies in the like 28 to $35 range, depending on where you're buying them from, what kind of coupon you're using, etc. And here's the thing. I think this card actually could show up in modern horizons as a reprint that is not currently in modern that would have some EDH implications and probably new art um, and new foils. But whether or not it does, these fo- the original foils, given that they're old border, probably only go up in price. If it gets reprinted in Modern Horizons, that's not going to hurt the original foils because there's just not enough of them around for that to happen. And some people that decide to start playing the card in EDH will choose to upgrade to the original foil now that they are freshly made aware of the card. And if it's not in Modern Horizons at all, then the foils just keep going on their merry way. Yeah, I mean, as an original pack foil, it's definitely got a lot of ground, or it's it's got a lot of stability there. And it's also old border, which means you're never going to replace it. It's always going to be the original Onslaught foil insurrection. It's also unlikely to be unseated in EDH. The card is ridiculous in that format, and it's actually one of my least favorite cards in, in EDH. Um... Because you can have a player who does nothing all game and you kind of go easy on them because they haven't been able to get their game off the ground. And then they untap and cast Insurrection and the game ends on the spot. And it's like, well, that's not fun. Uh, but my pet peeve yeah, is- for, pe- for, for people who aren't aware, this is five triple red sorcery. Untap all creatures, all creatures, and gain control of them until end of turn. They gain haste. So you're basically taking the entire board and then hitting people upside the head with it. Yeah. And how often do you have a board full of creatures in EDH? that wouldn't be lethal if they were unopposed. Uh, yeah. The answer is rarely. So that my pet, personal pet peeves aside, the an onslaught pack foil is awesome. Even if it shows up in Modern Horizons, it's gonna, probably going to be different art. Uh, could be different art, probably different art. Completely different border, different feel. Um, so the original ones are definitely going to be solid. And that's if it shows up. And if it doesn't show up, it's still a great, it's still a great card. You're, I don't think these are going to move frequently. Um, you know, it's not the type of card people are going to run out and spend $80 on often, but having one or two seems totally fine. Yep. Um, I've also got a few. It looks like I have a couple of Japanese foils in stock that I would love to get 60 or 70 for. Of Onslaught? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's spicy. That's Yeah. That's sp- if I didn't hate the card, I would buy it. Yeah, but they're pretty spicy. Uh, my other card this week is Waste Not. You'll remember this is the community designed card, the black enchantment that whenever your opponent discards cards, it does stuff. It makes tokens or generates mana or what have you. Foils currently, oh my, 
my numbers got messed up here. Wait, wait, it's 20 bucks right now, I believe. Let me double check that. My, my spreadsheet got messed up, so I just have to find to make sure I'm giving you guys the right number. I added out the gaps in between, so it makes it sound like I did this really quickly. Actually, while you're doing that, let me just uh, finish my thought on insurrection. I don't think I actually named the numbers. Um, you can, I said you can get in around 30. I didn't say what the exit was. Um, I think you get out on those around 50 for something like a 67% minus fees gain. Okay. Yes, yeah, $30 for the onslaught foil seems really low. Like, I'm kind of surprised it's that low. Um, okay, so anyways, back to Waste Knot. The pack foils from M15 are 10 bucks right now. And there are, as I count them, five on TCG Player. And then you hit $20. Um, I didn't check the other sources there. I'm sure there's still some floating around at Star City and, you know, various other places. But inventory on TCG is very low. The car is in 7, 7.5, 7.5 thousand EDH decks. So it's quite popular there. Also, it's going to be popular in casual type games where just making people discard cards is a means unto an end. Um, they tend not to love foils, but there's still a percentage of, of even kitchen to table players that like foils. So given how low the supply is on this um, and the solid popularity, I think this double from 10 to 20 is trivial. And it's already seen its first reprint. That's pretty key. Yeah, uh, it was a Commander one as well, wasn't it? 20, yeah, so it came out in Magic 2015, got a reprint the next year in Commander 2016, um, which means it's probably off the priority list for a while. Right, and, and you also—that's the way. And I think the goes. last time I actually saw it, caught wind of this card was in the hands of Conley Woods running a stream where he was like fooling around with Waste Not Modern. Um, so it's like one of these cards, like Jeskai Ascendancy, that like haunts the fringes of modern and streamers love to run because it's like an interesting stream. People can only watch Phoenix matches for so long. Yeah, it is a very nifty card, and it's definitely a card people would love to have be good in modern. And it's always possible that it will get there too, especially after Horizons. You have no idea what we're going to get. That would be that would be nifty. Yeah, I mean it's an engine card. Uh, whenever an opponent discards a creature card, put a two-two black zombie creature token on the battlefield. Whenever an opponent discards a land card, add two black to your mana pool. Whenever an opponent discards a non-creature, non-land card, draw a card. So it's you, you've built a deck where your opponent's discarding a lot. You're reaping the rewards. Well, you know, Cliff and I were talking last week because people were wondering if him, the Turok, is too good for modern. And the short answer is extremely too good. And you're dumb. Don't ask that question. But Gerard's yeah. verdict, maybe, which is the black and white one that doesn't make them discard randomly. But that means you could like turn one thought seize, take away whatever their key piece of interaction is. Turn two, waste not. Turn three, Gerard's verdict. Plus, like a one mana discard spell or something like that, There's some power in there. So, well, and if you believe Cabal Therapist is a setup to make black white tokens a better deck in modern, then Gerard's Verdict fits right into that paradigm. Sorta, of, yeah, yeah. Because you can, you're running like Bitter Blossom, you're running Lingering Souls, you're running Cabal Therapist, you're running Gerard's Verdict, Thoughtseize, IOK, and you start to have a fairly disruptive deck that can still bring pressure to the table early. Mm -hmm. So. Some cool, uh, some cool options there. But anyways, I think those foils are a slam dunk. Yeah, I, I, I could see that getting there just on the basis that, again, <clears throat> as with Insurrection and uh, your other pick, Burgeoning, these are like medium demand profile, but the supply is just getting to the tipping point. And that's what I was All looking right, so for. So my final pick of the week. Yeah. 
Uh, my final pick of the week is a planeswalker of relevance, uh, unsurprisingly. Um, a Johnny Mentor of Heroes catches my eye as uh, a planeswalker that's already in like five, five and a half thousand decks on EDH Rec, gets played a lot in Atraxa, um, and has some relevant abilities if you're playing Atraxa builds that mix planeswalkers and counter strategies. So I play a kind of purist Atraxa Super Friends build that doesn't really have any creatures that I can put counters on. But if you're playing um, some combination of counters-based creatures with your Planeswalkers, then a Johnny Mentor of Heroes fits slots right in because his, he has two plus ones, um, comes in with four loyalty, he's three green-white. Uh, the plus one, first plus one is distribute three plus one plus one counters among one, two, or three target creatures you control. There's a lot of ways to abuse that in Atraxa decks. Um, because she proliferates at the end of the turn so if you put say three counters out on three different creatures they double those counters at the end of the turn um and then the other plus one is look at the top four cards of your library you may, may reveal an aura creature or planeswalker card from among them and put it into your hand so uh if you've got a say 20 plus planeswalkers in the deck then he starts digging for the planeswalker you're trying to you you, you want to get on the table he also um doesn't win the game outright under a doubling season but puts you out of range for a lot of decks because he goes to eight loyalty immediately uh, and his minus eight is you gain a hundred life that's anyone who's ever played against a uh a Loro deck knows that a hundred life is tiddlywinks <laughs> so it's not the normal version of a johnny i'm targeting here it's his ravnica allegiance yeah. mythic edition which has been under the radar for a lot of people some copies of that are as low as $25. Um, $25 for a masterpiece that might see even a modest upswing in demand, given that there are only 27 listings uh, on TCG for this version of the card, as is. And because it showed up there, probably isn't going to show up anywhere else anytime soon, can't show up in Modern Horizons, is very unlikely to show up in a standard legal set. Um, they don't really reprint the same Planeswalker twice into standard. So the card's going to get some room to breathe. I think you look at this as like a 6 to 12 month spec that could accelerate faster depending on which direction the winds blow with War of the Spark hype. Um, but you can get these Mythic Editions, as I said, around, say, $26. If you target even getting out at 40 you're talking about 50% plus gains minus fees. Well, $25 Mythic Edition Planeswalkers is you don't even have to know what planeswalker it is it's already pretty tempting and it's likely that going back to the uh oh wait crap is ravnica allegiance the second one what was the first one uh guilds of ravnica so it was guilds of ravnica and then ravnica Allegiance, yes, which is what i thought going after the ravnica Allegiance mythic editions which are likely, which are, you know, kind of fell off the radar really fast because people weren't excited about it. Going after the singletons in there is probably not a bad idea. Um, worth worth keeping an eye on those, especially as we hit the War of the Spark Mythic Edition and everyone gets excited about that and people really forget about the Ravnica Allegiance ones. It'll be worth keeping an eye out. You know, we know Wizards probably has a good chunk of these left over in stock. We don't know if they were in touch to sell them to Channel Fireball or what they want to do with them. So there's still some out there, but getting a couple of the singles that are low in price that could suddenly get a lot better may prove may prove fruitful just because everyone forgot about those cards and doesn't really care. It's definitely odd that we haven't seen the cop the sets that we think are sitting in a warehouse somewhere pop up anywhere the longer the wait the weirder it gets so 
My next potential appearance would be that they might sell some alongside Mythic Edition 3 and nobody bats planes because Mythic Edition 3 is probably going to be amazing. Um, And they just go, oh yeah, we found a couple thousand sets, here you go. Or they just quietly put them up alongside and they sell well because Mythic Mythic Edition 3 is selling well and people are like, oh yeah, I want to go back and get 1 and 2. The only way they can get 1 is at a $600 price point on eBay or TCG. So... Get being having access to two at all will be something that will go over net positive. Um, beyond that, and since we haven't seen them show up at any GPs or anything, I don't know where they would show up. And then if they never show up, then either they burned them, in which case they're irrelevant, or they never we were wrong and those never existed at all, in which case they're irrelevant. So almost any which way that goes, um, pretty unlikely that you're going to see a massive dump of the Mythic Edition 2 planeswalkers into the market but i i guess you have to at least consider that as a potential risk if 40 percent of that inventory was held back and will appear at some point that matters um but probably just lengthens the the duration of the spec and it's possible you might get in and out of this before that even happens we don't know where the inventory is for those we don't know what they're going to do with it if they're going to do anything i could see them rolling it out for sale with the with the next mythic mythic edition oh by the way did you miss Ravnica Allegiances. Well, we have a couple more in stock that you can pick up while you get the new yep, one as yep, well yep. if you want to complete your set. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them run that back again. If they um, exist. If they exist. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they do. I don't think... Are you implying that Wizards just destroyed them or that they inflated the number and there weren't actually that many? I'm saying that all of this was predicated on the amount of inventory that they indicated in the in the back end of eBay that was that was uh, appeared in the HTML code when the original listing was posted. And you have to believe that that number was not a mistake to make the subsequent series of judgments that we and others made. If it was a mistake, like just a typo, um, and they and somebody just put an inflated number in there for whatever reason, mistake or otherwise, then like I said, those copies may not exist. But if you believe that that number was real, then there should be copies sitting around. Yeah, I, I would be surprised if that number was wrong. That if you know, we know that they. I guess, and I and I guess the sentence didn't get said out loud. Here is we saw an inventory on eBay. You know, you could see via the HTML or whatever that looked pretty high, but that number changed. It got this that that number came way down when people realized it was there so is that wizards also realizing that way more copies were listed than they actually had in stock and they were correcting so they didn't oversell or were they just trying to disguise the fact that they had way more than people actually wanted that we don't actually know at the moment but yeah. in either case in either way i do think that 25 dollar mythic, mythic edition planeswalkers uh, are tempting all right, let's move on to segment three, our metagame week in review. We are looking at GP Bilboa. Uh, and GP Tampa, right? G- oh, okay. We had both written down there. Yes, GP Bilboa and Tampa. So if there was a narrative this weekend, it was, is it Phoenix? Uh, it won Bilboa. I hope I'm definitely saying that right. Bilboa, Bilboa, Bilboa. Oh, I'm going to hear about this. One won it, got third place, and had one, two, three more copies in the top eight. Uh, and Tampa was 
quite a bit as well. Right had one, two, three, four in the top eight of Tampa. Yeah, and some total across all both top eights, um, both sides of the Atlantic. You had ten of sixteen decks running faceless looting. In the main. That's that's a lot of faithless looting. That's that I will tell you, I have not really been on the band faithless looting train, but mm, that's not a good number. I, I I think they're in a very tricky position here. Sometimes you can ban a card and invalidate a deck. One deck that's causing problems in a format. Like for instance, Etherworks Marvel was just too good versus the other decks in its format. They got rid of Marvel, mostly solved the problem. That deck just disappeared. Faithless Looting is in a lot of decks. If you ban Faithless Looting and it shuts down all the decks that want to run it, then you have this problem where you have invalidated tens of thousands of players' decks. And if those decks, some of those decks can reconfigure to continue in a slightly less powerful version, which is your end goal, really. You want to invalidate the lowest number of decks while making sure the format rebalances to some extent. So you want to knock like Phoenix back to a lower tier one or tier 1.5 or tier two so people can continue to try to tune it and be competitive. But if getting rid of Faithless Looting shuts the deck down, then what have you really accomplished? And in some cases, if you ban Faithless Looting and, for instance, Dredge and Phoenix continue to exist by running some other lesser version of looting, and it sets them back only like a third of a turn per match or something, and they stay on top of the of, of the standings, now you got real problems. Because now you're you're being people are gonna come back to you and say, you didn't ban the right card, or this wasn't enough, and now you gotta ban Phoenix itself, or some major piece from uh, Dredge alongside Phoenix, and you're starting to carve up bigger and bigger chunks of the format and leave more and more players dissatisfied. And unlike standard, where sometimes the problem just goes away because rotation takes place, you know, this is these are like decks worth a thousand dollars plus in some cases that people have put together um, relatively recently, <laughs> and uh, it, it's tough. Like you could see it in their when they didn't ban looting two weeks ago, the statement that they issued to paraphrase was more or less like, we know that you guys have decks you'd like to keep playing. <laughs> so we're going to give this some more time. And the more time is resulting in faithless looting setting up as, you know, more and more of a problematic card. Well, I think I think that when it comes to modern bannings, they have a little more flexibility than they do with like standard. I think with modern, you can ban a card like, you know, it's not like eggs where they really just want this deck out of the format because it sucks, right? They don't want to have to deal with that. This is a little different. This is like, this is probably too good. And they generally don't like to ban decks for being too good. It has to be way too good. So if I'm Wizards and I I, I go, all right, I'm going to ban Faithless Looting. But I might, I'm not saying you can't play as it, Phoenix. I'm just saying we got to take some of the wind out of its sails. And if they ban Faithless Looting and it doesn't kill the deck, if it just slows it down by two-thirds of a turn and it gives up 10% of the metagame, maybe 5%, right? I think that's okay. That's within the realm of like, hey, you know, we, we took a shot uh, to see if we could slow it down. We wanted to leave it possibly viable. 
Apparently this wasn't enough. So we're going to go back to the drawing board. Contrast that. I feel like the way that they manage it in modern is different than the way that they manage it in standard. Or in standard, if you're getting rid of something, it's got to go because they don't have time to screw around with it. But modern, it just seems like you can half ban a deck, turn out it wasn't good enough, and that's an okay event because you can just do it again. Yeah, it, this is going to be tough. Um, in some ways, I feel like they're they're ba- they might be banking on Modern Horizons solving some of these problems. Like they put some really good uh, sideboard toolbox cards in there, um, or cards that are you could put a, a creature that was like as good as a Snapcaster Mage that its overall stats and power level were about that level but that had incidental hate stapled onto it for the graveyard. Like it exiles a player's graveyard when it comes into play. And, you know, maybe that would start to open up some other strategy strategies if it also had synergy in some way with, say, black-white tokens or whatever. Um, and it started to put an active threat into the meta that made graveyard strategies just 20% weaker or something. And then people could probably live with those decks existing. Um, I don't know. There's there's a lot of moving pieces in this puzzle this spring, and it's going to be tough to see where it nets out. But I'll tell you this: I I'm not super confident holding Dredge or Phoenix uh, specs through this process. Um, I will I will be looking to out what few remaining Phoenixes I have, and then reevaluate. I mean, they've already spiked like three times. So how greedy do you really want to be? <laughs> Well, yeah, well, if, and if you sell them now, that means you can then make them your pick of the week again two weeks later. Um, no, I, I think, I, I mean, I'm on board with with selling the dredge pieces. Um, oh, I had a thought, and then you kept talking. What was I going to say? <laughs> mm. uh, oh, I think Wizards is probably hoping that Modern Horizons brings enough with it that it will shake up the format that they don't have to ban anything i think that's realistically what they're going to do why make any changes with horizon around the corner they're just going to wait and see how it goes and they'll probably give that a lot of time to shake out too because they're gonna be like look it's 260 cards you guys aren't going to figure this out in two weeks like if is it phoenix is still good one week in the modern horizons that's also fine because you just haven't figured it out yet so anyway, I mean, one of the more interesting things that took place in between these two tournaments was Sam Black running Lantern Control, not Lanternless Bridge. Um, and he had a Kaya uh, Orzov Usurper in his main deck and another one in the sideboard. And he was using the plus one ability on Kaya. Exile up to two target cards from a single graveyard. You gain two life if at least one was a creature card to get key creatures out of the graveyard from Dredge and from Phoenix. And he reported on Twitter that the the card performed well the whole weekend. Which is fascinating and not a card that you would expect to see in that deck. But I guess Planeswalkers in that style of deck are quite effective as long as they're cheap enough to get down uh, before they clog up your hand and make your ensnaring bridges worth worth because your opponents aren't going to be able to attack them and they can kind of grind up to the point where they do something valuable. Um, so a cool piece of tech there from Sam, certainly one of the better players with that style of deck. I'm holding a small pile of Kaya's that I picked up in Cleveland for completely different reasons on the premise that it was good against the mono blue deck and standard. Um, and looking to exit over $10 at my first available opportunity. So I'm curious to see whether this will be one of these like stealth picks that people have 
stashed away for a variety of different reasons and it ends up getting there for a completely different reason. <laughs> Um, or whether it's just going to end up in the box of shame i mean i there there was a window of opportunity just after cleveland where you could buy list them to ck for a pretty solid profit um but i skipped it just to see what would happen a little further down the road wow if uh if this has taught us anything it's that yesterday's failures turn into tomorrow's successes uh it just takes time (laughs) I, i also thought it was interesting that the two death shadow builds the one that won tampa um was the uh, classic uh, Grixis build, um, but the one that top aided over in uh, Bilbao was the version that we saw a couple of weeks ago with Wild Nactyls and Tarmogoyfs and Monastery Swift Spears, um, leaning on the end game of like Become Immense plus Teamer Battle Rage. Um, so Death Shadow looking very very good, um, and a card that's going to be under pressure given that it can't show up in Modern Horizons because. If the de- if the Death Shadows decks are viable in both configurations in the world of Is It Phoenix and Dredge, then if Is It Phoenix and Dredge get neutered, Death Shadow get significantly better. I'm inclined to agree with you, and I think part of that might just come down to pilot familiarity with one build or another. But ultimately, I don't I don't think I don't think it matters. I, I don't think that any of this will matter in a month, a month and a half. Like. If if we didn't have horizons on the horizon, then we could just be. This would be you know very compelling. But with that product right there, it's just like it does not matter which Death Shadows build is good. It does not matter if Faithless Looting is legal because it's just all going to blow up in seven weeks. See, they were making Corbin was making the point over on BSB last week um, that took a different approach. He was saying he doesn't think Modern Horizons is going to have all that many cards that impact Modern. He thinks it's going to be more like. Uh, traditional master's set uh, or like a set like a battle bond or a conspiracy where there might be five or six or maybe 10 really important cards and the rest of it is kind of like chaff um i think i fall somewhere in the middle like i I don't think the format's going to get blown up and i don't think all that many things are going to get fully invalidated but i think we will see a healthy meta shift as i expect that there will be a handful of key puzzle pieces that will help attack certain strategies um, and that are, you know, designed to put power into archetypes that have been wallowing in the type three to, you know, tier two, tier three kind of zone. Well, there's no question that not all 260 cards are intended to shake up modern. Right. But I mean, it doesn't take much to shift the format either. Like, is it Phoenix? considerably changed the face of modern and it was one card um and now you're getting like anywhere between six and 70 cards that do the same thing sure probably like filling small holes that they've always wanted to fill and you know i I think it's going to be all that sorts of little stuff a couple combo enablers um they might embrace their uh best of one card design ethos these days and make a lot of modular cards so uh i i i think if corbin's saying it's not going to do much i i don't i don't agree with him i i mean there will be a graveyard deck there will be a stormish creature deck there will be a big mana deck with tron like these decks will still exist uh but they and you could even have 50 cards be the same but if you change 10 cards in every deck in modern that's a major change 
Yeah, I mean, and the I think the 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 important point takeaway point is we just don't know. We don't know to what extent Modern Horizons will affect things, and we actually also don't know whether what the uh, the impact they designed it to have will match what it does have because they've messed that up enough times that even if you've got the Tom Rosses of the world leading the ship in the design chamber, um, there could end up being cards in here that they like they threw in there thinking they would just be good in EDH, but they weren't tested with something that's coming out in a standard set in the fall, and boom, all of a sudden there's some fresh new combo in in modern, something like a Felidar Guardian plus Sahili, um, that they just missed. Um, that could really upset the apple cart. So who knows yeah, where we're going to That'll be funny. If they just... Yeah. <laughs> Wh- whoops. <laughs> well, I mean, looking at... We called Death Shadow foils and non-foils a while back, but like Death, Fo- Death Shadow foils from M17, there are four listings left on TCG, Jeez. ranging from 32 to 40. Total of eight copies. Um, and non-foils sitting in and around anywhere from 15 to 20. I think any copy of Death Shadow you could find under 15 is an auto buy right now. Call call this an honorary final pick of the week. Um, I don't see how Death Shadow doesn't get to 30 before it gets a reprint, given that it can compete in the existing meta and probably doesn't get any worse in whatever happens next, just because it doesn't represent a zone-specific strategy per se that is likely to be targeted by anything specific. Um, I'm inclined to agree, I guess, that Death Shadow is certainly well positioned at the moment within the format and the supply is so low, it feels like it's hard to miss. Some cards feel like they're going to get invalidated. A one mana 9-9, probably not. Uh, that's a card <laughs> that like it, it's not it's not going to get invalidated. It's just the, the support around the card will probably shift, but that's like powerful enough that it will remain relevant. Um, so I, I don't, I don't dislike that. I don't dislike that. And, and especially given that one of the costs they like to tack onto cards to make them worse, like say they're going to take a bunch of broken legacy cards and re and redesign them for modern, like they did with Cabal Therapist. Um, one of the costs they like to play with a lot is the loss of life. You know, that's fetch lands are about loss of life. Um, all, all, Phyrexian mana was clearly a mistake, but it was also centered on that principle. It's not the only time they've gone to that well, and they could well do it again, especially in a black-white tokens uh, theme. You know, those are the colors where life transference is kind of core to the play pattern. Definitely, definitely. All right. I think that's a wrap. Where can our listeners find you, James? Um, you guys can find me on Twitter at MDG Critic, as well as via my occasional articles on MDGPrice.com. And I am constantly haunting the MDG Price Pro Trader Discord uh, channels, helping all the Pro Traders succeed in their goals to make and save money playing Magic the Gathering. All right. I am Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin, B U M P I N. Um, once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored. Uh, I emphasize proudly. By Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use promo code FINANCE5, and I hope you guys checked out the couponbug.com video, uh, the TF2 video. Uh, During checkout, FINANCE5, use that during checkout at coolstuffinc.com to save 5% off your order and support our podcast. 
Uh, and that- I'd also like to hold on. Oh. I'd also like to remind our oh. listeners to check out the mtgprice.com pro trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. All right. Well, that brings us now. It brings us to the end of episode 161. Uh, another great episode. Glad to have you back this week, James, and I will see you next week. Thank you, Travis. Congratulations on your uh, new house purchase, by the way. Everybody tentative. Tentative. Was, closing's a ways away. <laughs> it's going to have a new magic den, folks. Getting pretty exciting. Going to set up a mat- big carved magic table. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Travis. And we'll see you guys all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.